Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. This is a wonderful day on the podcast that I've been looking forward to, and that is because I'm inviting Andy Kolber back to the airwaves, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Many of you are big fans of um, her first book, and um, I loved Try Softer. I have picked it up so many times over the past couple of years you know, looking at specific chapters, reading significant portions of it. I've talked about that book with spiritual direction clients. And so I've been excitedly awaiting what might come next. So before I say what's next and what we're talking about today, let me just tell you if you're new to the podcast and are unaware of Andy Kolber, that she is a licensed professional counselor. Um, as I already mentioned, she's the author of Try Softer, which is a critically acclaimed book. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, she's, uh, well, I think this is an important piece for you to know. She's received additional training in her specialization of trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. That's one of the reasons that I really love her work. So I want to welcome Andy back to Faith Conversations. Welcome. Mm, yes. Thank you so much. What an introduction. It's really <laughs> good to be with you. <laughs> well, and I want to say right here off the bat at the top that we are going to be talking about your new book, Strong Like Water. Strong Like Water. I think that is a beautiful title uh, obviously, the word strong is in it, but I think there is such strength as you think about water. Um, I'm excited to hear from you about this. I live on the Florida coast, the West Coast, so maybe the gentler coast when it comes to water, the Gulf Coast. But I still know the strength of water because um, we also can have hurricanes and storm surge with water and and I love the beauty of this image uh, of your title, Strong Like Water. So maybe that's the place I would love to start with you. Um, often a first book that an author writes has a lot to do with their own story and themselves and is a real heart book. Mm -hmm. So I'm always interested in what precipitates the second book for an author. What mm -hmm. is it that drove you to talk about this content in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're resonating with that title. Cause I also, I love it. Um, and I, I love it. I love it. Um, maybe differently than I love try softer. Cause that is such a, a dear, um, book for me. And what's interesting about strong, like water, you know, where it came from, the way I kind of think of it is that learning to live um, in a try softer way, in my opinion, cannot help but birth strong like water. And so, you know, what's interesting is, is that 
Um, this book also very much intertwines parts of my story, um, but I would call it like an like an expansive view of of my story in the sense of. Uh, whereas I feel like Trisofter is really honing in on this really specific element of softness and what does that mean? And I I love that. And that's still um, a, a deep value to me. And I think you'll see that even throughout Strong Like Water. Like it's not me like leaving that behind and being like, well, let's just all go be strong now, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, for me, it's really from a place of of seeing in my, in my clients, um, in myself, in really just like even the, the theoretical sort of work, like the neurobiology, what I just love, I I love paradoxes. First of all, I'm a total Enneagram four. I love just like (laughs) talking about liminal space and all these things. But what I think truly is amazing is this reality that softness produces a very specific kind of strength. Mm. And that is very interesting to me because I, I mean, I think we live in a culture that honestly shames softness. I think softness is reserved for very few spaces, places, people, and usually only after you've earned it. Uh, interesting. I agree. I do. I agree. And, and so it's almost like, I think this book is about taking this, this smaller idea. And it's almost like I'm pull I'm, I'm panning out the camera. Yes. And I'm saying, I think this is about what it means to be human. Yes. And part of that journey and, and part of what, you know, readers will see in Strong Like Water is that I really try to honor the reality that for many of us, Um, We have had to be strong in a very specific way. Um, In the book, I call, I sort of coined the term situational strength. And I think of situational strength as this very survival oriented strength. It's very much like um, in many ways, if we were talking about it through the lens of water, it's the ice. (laughs) Uh, It's like, it's rigid. It's hard. It gets the job done, but there's no flexibility there. There's not much movement. It simply um, gets what needs to be done, done. And with that, I think we can honor that there are times in life when we really don't have a choice. And for me as a trauma survivor, for many of the folks I work with, lots of my readers, this is an important thing to really recognize Mm -hmm. that um, sometimes you wish you could be different. And you literally did not have a choice. Yeah. Isn't that interesting and true? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this really matters for the whole discussion because my hope here is not to say, okay, just go be so, so different with your strength and you just flip a switch and it'll be easy. (laughs) Like I wish in some ways it was like that, but the reality with our bodies is a lot more nuanced. And I would say, you know, a big value to me, a big concept is this idea of honoring and, and honoring like who we are, um, how God designed us, the body, like the way the body works and the story that our body holds Mm -hmm. all of those things, because it's almost like we have to, 
begin there. Yeah. Before we even have even a hope of maybe doing some things differently. And I I think in the book where the big picture trajectory is that that situational strength can be transformed, that as we get some safety and support and resources, we move into different kinds of strength that are much more about the fullness of our humanity. Yes. One of the things that I've noticed, I would love for you to comment on this. Um, As I thought about our conversation today, um, I really enjoy Instagram. I follow a variety of people. But one of the things that I noticed is there are a lot of folks in um, the secular field of psychology that are talking about all of these kinds of things. I feel like there are much fewer that are really getting to the heart of the matter on the faith side of things, the Christian faith side of things. I think about you and Adam Young, Kurt Thompson, Allison Cook in a, another kind of way. Uh, and, and I don't, there aren't a whole lot more that I add to the list that I really pay attention to. To what, Do you think that's true? There are many fewer and why, why do you think that is? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I do, I do think there are fewer and, and to be totally frank, I think that's why I felt a burning in my own soul to write Trisofter. I mean, I, um, I wrote that at a time that was, I would say not an easy time to write a book. I had, you know, like a two and a half year old, I had, you know, like an eight year old. I was, it was not a time when I felt like I didn't have a lot of additional capacity. You know, it wasn't like, I was like, what do I want to do with all this extra right. time? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, partly from my own journey, Um, I felt this deep desire for um, anyone and particularly, you know, as someone coming from the Christian tradition, I was like, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. how do people not know? Like, why do people not have more knowledge um, about what is available to us, right? right? Like the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yes. Right. Like, and I'm like, that is my heritage. That's my tradition. Um, That's my belief that God designed us for that. And I just felt this profound gap around the reality that we, I really believe that we are beloved. We are beloved by God. And that is our truest identity. And yet what keeps us from fully inhabiting and experiencing that truth? And for me, you know, I have been, I've done lots of trainings and lots of, a lot of my, um, you know, background has been uh, supplemented by non-Christian spaces, right? So I have both. I've been to seminary, um, but also a lot of, you know, going to learn about EMDR and somatic psychology. And that has made my perspective fuller. Yes. And it has been a resource to me. And so I really wanted and hoped to begin to bridge some of the very granular 
right? Because I think it's easy to talk about big sweeping statements. Those things, to be totally honest, are not that hard to do. But what's hard is to get into the granularity of our stories and our body. Like the thing about like, why is it, you know, Paul talks about why, why do I do what I don't want to (laughs) do? Like, like all that whole dynamic. It's sort of like, let's go there a little bit more. And so I think a lot of my work has been about getting very particular around those things to say, well, what if God made a way? And what if it's already available to us and there are more resources than we even realize? And I, well, I'm a huge lover of uh, spiritual practices and formational way of living, but I'm a really a huge proponent for Lexio Divina. And I just can't believe how reading scripture in that way has Mm -hmm. opened up my life over the past number of years to seeing things that are there that we don't see with a cursory reading that to me is a little bit about even what you're talking about right now. We, it, we're just not seeing what mm-hmm. is there and available to us. And I know that's a little bit of an aside, but it's a hot button of mine. And, but I see yeah. that the effects, the beautiful effects in my own life of engaging scripture in a very different way and then adding to it, you know, talking to to people like you and others that are deeply trained and have this broader perspective um how it just it's so it's i think um not just important but necessary uh, yeah. especially today i mean just take a look at what's going on in our world today uh, on one micro level we are all traumatized but then you move back to additionally things that happen closer to us, not across the globe. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much going on in people's individual lives mm-hmm. um, that make us need books like Strong Like Water and Try Softer. Um, and I think societally, we are a whole lot more aware of emotional health these days, right? I mean, that's a, a wonderful thing. Um, uh, I deeply appreciate that. And, and it opens up the door into work like yours. Um, but let's, let's get even deeper into the content of, of this concept of strong, like water, the, the flow, the words around that flow and, um, the, uh, oh, the word, what did the word just left me? There's another great word that, well, maybe it is flow of water, Flow of strength. Flow of strength. That's what I was Mm -hmm. looking for. Um, Let's talk about the importance of the things that you mentioned in the first part of your book and then move to these great resources and rhythms that you talk about in the second part of your book. Why are we so unaware of our own nervous system? Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk a lot about this in the first part of the book, and I'm hearing more and more uh, content about that. And I realize, wow, I kind of don't know much about my own nervous system. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's two layers to that. First and foremost, I think on a big macro level, I think Western culture, you know, as influenced by a lot of European, uh, you know, sort of, uh, the, a lot of, um, that whole perspective has, 
a lot of folks are disembodied is what I would say. I'd say there is a higher value around things like facts, yes, um, things like cognition versus our bodies, right? And so this is like on a macro level. And certainly that's not true everywhere in the world. So I partly just like root that. And I think there's historical um, reasons for that. And I don't think the entire church for all time, Big C Church has always been that way. Um, like you have mentioned, you know, a, there's some beautiful, helpful practices um, through, you know, uh, contemplative practice, um, the mystics, the desert fathers and mothers. I mean, I think there's a really rich tradition there that shows us um, it has been possible. It is possible. Um, it's part of, you know, what has been also handed down to us. So just to honor and acknowledge that, but I think basing this in our current day, um, particularly then in the church, it's also influenced our whole, I mean, our faith, our perspective on theology. Um, and I would say particularly, you know, sort of like the white evangelical church that it tends to be true. And so, um, there is no awareness of the nervous system if there is no awareness of the body. Yes, that makes so, sense. No wonder I don't know anything about my yeah. nervous system. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that is, that's a really, I think that's a really common thing. I think even for folks who may not identify in any way as really having significant trauma history, they may not have been given a lot of support and resources around what it means to really live in their body. And I think, you know, this is a place where I think that's really a shame because I think that on so many levels, one, I think it's really tied to our ability to fully live. I mean, in order to process emotions, in order to deeply connect with others, in order to have an um, access to the intuitive wisdom God has placed in our bodies, that means we have to be paying attention to our bodies, at least in some way. Well, and I think we've really been taught head good, body bad, <laughs> right? I, I Very much. I, I had a recent, oh, I don't know, maybe in the last six months, eye surgery, and I had this prepping for it in the prep space there in the surgical center. I had a, let me get it right. You'll know what I'm saying. Vasovagal or vasovagal response Mm -hmm. because they started tying my hands down and, but they didn't tell me why. (laughs) And I like, (laughs) I was about to lose it moving toward that. And, Mm -hmm. and so I came home and I'm looking up this, you know, word, the, that response. I honestly, Literally, I knew nothing about my nervous system, which is kind of shocking Mm. to be in my early 60s and not know this. Well, here's what I would just say. I mean, the more specific particularities around the uh, nervous system, honestly, especially like the last, I would say 15 years are when a lot of the deeper understanding okay. um, has come to fruition. So honestly, Thanks for making I'm, me feel better. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to just say, I mean, I think it it is, I would love to see more of this taught eventually in places like schools. I think this is starting to happen through sort of a trauma informed perspective. Right. Um, but, but I do love, I love educating people about their nervous system because I believe it really empowers people to, begin to attune um, to what they need, which then ultimately helps us find a path forward, right? 
Well, and you call it the nervous system. You call it the sacred roadmap of our bodies. That's pretty strong mm-hmm. language. I love that. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think before we had, I mean, now we have research to, to be able to back up things, right? Like that we, maybe folks have known, but I think that, you know, if we use like a, this more broad term of even being able to just listen to our bodies, uh, poets and writers and painters and musicians and deep feelers and highly sensitive folks. I mean, there it's not as though people haven't been talking about the, this, this concept using different words. And so what I would just say is that, yeah, I, I call it the sacred roadmap of our bodies in the book, because I just feel like, um, honestly, it, for me personally, I experience awe at just the profound elegance of our bodies. I mean, the ways that our bodies have the capacity to experience pain, but then be able to metabolize it and fully process it and to allow that to become ultimately something that we learn from. And that makes us like, it it goes into the tapestry of who we really are. Um, and that can later become sort of a resource that all together, that is magnificent. Hmm. And certainly in that process, when it doesn't happen that way, a lot of times that's what we're talking about when someone experiences trauma, Hmm. that the natural rhythms of your body are not able, don't have what they need to be able to complete that process to do what God designed us to do. And so both of those things, there is an, um, there is a wisdom that runs all the way through our bodies. Mm. And for me as a trauma therapist, part of what I'm working to do and really what I am working to do in strong, like water is not to say, Hey, I'm the expert and I know everything. So just listen to me and you'll be fine. Like that is not how I handle it. What I hope to do is to empower folks with some knowledge, with some tools, with some resources so that they can listen. And I I feel like you're, you are bringing an artistic language to this almost. I mean, you're, you're talking about this in such a beautiful and different way that I think it's drawing us in and also grabbing some people that maybe would not have heard this before. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And maybe that's some of your Enneagram four at work. I don't know, but, (laughs) but it, I feel like it really draws me in and I think it draws other people in as well. Mm, Thank you. I, I I, I love it. Yeah. That means a lot. And I think, you know, early on in my therapeutic training, one of the things that, um, was shared with me from one of my professors was the idea that therapy is both an art Mm. and a science. And to me, I mean, that just speaks to me. I mean, it really, it's like, it's like right brain is very, you know, more artistically inclined, left brain, more logical, linear. To me, I just, I love that. It's like a, it's a dance, right? And that sometimes one of the reasons I 
was excited to, to write the books that I do is because I wanted, I hoped to breathe life a little bit into some things that can, some people experience as very dry, um, to just, to take like plain research Mm -hmm. and just say, here's how this works. One, two, three. Right. But when you put that into the story of someone's life, when you connect that with the healing and the resolution of their pain, um, we experience that differently. Uh, Yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And, um, and I, anyway, that's part, that's a big piece of what I love about your writing, honestly. Uh, let's talk about, um, I mean, there's no way we are going to get through, um, very much, but I really want to whet people's appetites for, where this book might take them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I want to get into the part of the book where you talk about the flow of strength. Um, but but just before we get there, I would love for you to say a word about safety. I read somewhere in the book, without safety, we suffer. Mm-hmm. And you say that safety is the magic ingredient. Mm-hmm. Say a word about that. Yeah, so... Um... Where my perspective on safety is mainly influenced by is especially the work of like Dr. Stephen Porges. Um, he is sort of the person who's identified polyvagal theory. And I won't, we, we don't need to understand every element that of that for that to, to be helpful. But some of the big takeaways are that our bodies are constantly scanning for safety. And and our bodies do this subconsciously. This is not something we choose or don't choose. This is simply a reality. Um, And when our bodies pick up enough cues of safety, we are able to stay in, this might be a term that's familiar to some folks, the window of tolerance, or he calls that ventral vagal. There's an overlap there. And so basically that's when you kind of feel more like yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel like you could be creative or you could be compassionate or you could be curious. You might even feel like that's, I think of that as a place where we most deeply can interact with God from when we're sort of in that sort of zone. But when our bodies don't pick up enough cues of safety and, or they pick up actual cues of threat. What begins to happen is that our autonomic state, so basically our nervous system, begins to shift out of that sort of social, safe and social, it's sort of like very uh, prone to connecting with others and ourselves and God. Instead, it begins to go into threat mode, defense Mm. mode. So we may go into sort of like a fight or flight, potentially a fawn, which is sort of a people-pleasing Or if that doesn't feel like it's going to help, we will go into sort of a dissociation, um, a feeling of frozenness, um, a feeling potentially of numbness, or even it could feel like depression. And even from like what you shared, the, the vasovagal response, I mean, that's like, that is essentially your body going all the way, our dorsal vagal. Um, I know some of these terms can be a little confusing, but essentially a different part of our nervous system goes, sorry, I'm shutting it off. We're closing this down. This is not safe. And so the big takeaway with your question with safety is that that is all facilitated by either cues of threat or safety. And for folks who have a history of unresolved trauma, what can happen is our body can pick up a cue 
um, that it perceives to be unsafe, even though in the present, it may actually be in all, for all intents and purposes, some, like it may actually be safe in the present, but our body's reacting to it as though it's from something in the past. So when I talk about this safety piece, I mean, this is the lens that I'm really looking at. And essentially part of the work here um, in Strong Like Water is that I make a connection between um, something I call compassionate resourcing and safety. So compassionate resourcing is this mechanism that I sort of imagine to be the thing that takes us out of that situational strength, which is like on that flow of strength. And it helps to move us along the flow of strength towards either sort of more of a transitional strength, which is what I would say is when we are beginning to feel a little more like ourselves again. Well, and so maybe, maybe this is a good time for you to talk a little bit about um, some of the resources that you, you do some, I think some amazing equipping in this book. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love what you do at ends of chapters um, to kind of underline what you've just talked about or giving us some, some resources, some ways that we can connect with the material. I, I love that, but maybe yeah. that's a good place for us to go next. As you talk a little bit more about the compassionate resources and um you know, you really give us some great rhythms to help us become strong like water. Yeah, um, and maybe, yeah. maybe highlight, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm looking at our time, maybe highlight a couple of those that you think would be um, some of the best ones to highlight before we yeah. wrap our time up. Sure. Yeah. Well, I would say that one thing I always like to talk about with anytime I'm, I'm talking about this idea of resourcing is that I do always start with a basic one. And that's because if someone is listening, if you are listening for the very first time, um, I don't want you to feel like you need to go and be on letter X and you're at A yeah. right now, you know, and that is, I just want to acknowledge that that's okay. Um, and so I always start with a basic resource because um, this is often where we need to be able to have access to something really basic before we can build. And what I just would say is one that I, I teach a lot is, um, is grounding. And grounding is when we use our five senses to come back into our present awareness. Because basically, God willing, our present moment is safe. Now, if it's not actually safe, we want to do, we actually almost need to use our trauma response to get us safe. Like that's actually almost the point of our trauma responses. So, but grounding, you know, um, if it's possible to go outside and notice something using your senses, like what are you, what are you seeing? And, and just name a couple, what are you smelling? Just really take a moment to just take that in. Um, what are you hearing? Mm. Um, what is it? What can you touch? And this one is great for outside. Like, can you pick up a rock and mm. notice the weight? Can you, if it feels okay, can you take off your shoes and put your feet in grass and notice what that feels like? Um, if you can taste something to use that. And really what I like to say is that the more sort of activated you're feeling, the more grounding or resources you may need to come back 
into that window to feel sort of like yourself. So just, just know, like if you've had like a day, like a, my son has read, uh, you know, Alexander's no good, very bad, horrible day. If you've had one of those days, you're going to need more layers of resources to help your body experience cues of safety. And that is okay. Um, Can I ask a oh, question yeah. here in the midst of this? Mm -hmm. um, what do we often do if we don't do that, I, I'm picturing someone I, listening to you and going, oh, that's what I need to do. What I've been doing is coming in, plopping down and turning the TV on mm. escape. I, I've just been like, I don't want to, mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know I needed to connect in these ways to pay attention in these ways. Yeah. D don't, I think we, we do other things. We absolutely do. I mean, we find ways to self, to, to soothe, to try to medicate. And, you know, the angle that I come from is that that is actually a form of situational strength. Ah. The ways that we are trying to survive that ultimately don't produce real safety are a form of situational strength. And, and really, I come from a very a compassionate viewpoint that says we are doing that because for whatever reason, we don't feel like it's accessible to do something different. Mm. So that's why I always start with really basic things, because sometimes like you're not going to go if that's been your main coping strategy for like 10 years. And then you're like, OK, I learned grounding. Your body is going to be like, OK, I don't know if this feels like a good but so what you might just do is experiment a little bit yes. and you might just say, listen, I, you know what? I'm going to watch a show, but I want to enjoy the show. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to do some grounding. I'm just going to notice that. And then I'm going to come back to the show and maybe I'll just be like, you know what? Since I sometimes just lose track of time, maybe I'll set a timer for 20, you know, 30 minutes. And I'm just going to check in with myself. Right. So what I'm doing here is that I'm using more of my full self to sort of be able to make decisions that are sort of more related to my overall, like what's good for me. What is in the big picture, what is going to be in service of my wholeness? Because we don't want to shame, like there's a way in which our situational strength, again, we want to honor it. We honor that at the time, maybe we don't feel like we have better resources, but as we build, what's cool is that our body begins to trust us more and more, you know? So like, for example, one of the resources in the book that I talk about, and this is one that takes a little practice, but once you have, you know, you kind of begin to learn something like grounding, um, I call it art. And I just love that, you know, that I really believe that we are art, that um, I talk about the quote that beauty is one of God's names by, mm -hmm. I think it's Gregory of Nisa. I don't know if I said that correctly, yeah, but yeah. I love, I love that. Right. And that, of course, there's a sense in which, I don't know, there's just like this connection, right. Between who we are and that God is this artist. And so this art, creator, this creator artist, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So art stands for attune, respond and tend. So with this, you know, that first one, attune is really just the practice of, of working to listen, 
You know, like it might be, you know, you end, you're ending your day and a tuning might look like just taking a moment and noticing if you're experiencing any sensations in your body. I talk about like doing a body scan in the book. And if you're noticing, wow, my chest is so tight and I just feel like I have a million things to do, but also I'm exhausted right? Like in the process of attuning, that's just part of like, I'm just listening Mm -hmm. and I'm just observing. And even that listening is part of the work because when we listen to our emotions, what we be, what begins to happen is they be like kids who are listened to, they begin to calm down a little bit. Yes. They don't have to yell so loud and sort of like, okay, okay, body, I'm hearing you. Like you're amped up and you're exhausted. That next piece is respond. So in this response piece and and throughout the book, I give a lot of ideas. So this is where you almost are going to be building in your own, according to your own needs, the response. But like for this particular example, honestly, what I would probably want to start with is some Mm self-compassion. Well, I, my thought immediately, I thought, wow, there's such a lack of kindness in ourselves toward ourselves. Yeah. I, I'm amazed at that, just that attunement piece, you know, um, how, yes, how we can quickly dismiss ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even, and that's why I say like, this can take some practice because you may really just begin with the a the attunement and you may just hang there for as long as you need you know and and as it feels good to you 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 can invite god into that space with you you know i always say i always say to people if it feels like a resource to you because i really like to empower people to say you know god is here but god wants to be a resource to us and for lots of reasons, maybe because of abuse, various experiences we've had, it doesn't always feel that way immediately. And that is okay. But those are, you can hang in that space of just attuning and listening. And even that is the work, like you're already doing it. And as that builds at whatever pace, whatever pace, it's okay. There's no finish line here. But when you feel ready, we can begin to have a little bit more ability to respond with different practices, whether that's self-compassion, it may be guided meditation, it may be, um, you know, sort of working to move some emotions through our body. Um, It may be, there are some different reparenting practices that I go through in the book. Um, We begin to just we are responding just, you know, I have kiddos, so this is often my framework, but you can use other, doesn't have to be just through that parenting framework. Um, but as needs are met, what we find is that our body sort of settles and it says, okay, thank you so much for listening. And then this last one is tend. I love the word tend. I think it's just a beautiful word because what it, um, connotates is this idea of like we've this other work is sort of is the foundation we're attuning and responding but the tending is sort of like I'm keeping an eye on it I'm still available and aware to the needs that may be coming up but also you know 
there are other people in my life. I have a job. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to do some practical things. Like the reality is, is, I mean, we just really can't be in constant attention to, for example, our bodies all the time. I mean, for most people, that's just not possible. And that's actually okay because we're really meant to go in and out of that attention. So the tending is sort of like this reminder of like, oh, let's just check in. How we doing? Does anybody need anything? <laughs> and that sort of keeps that process going. Yeah. Um, I, I look at your book and I think um, of that person that's been considering going to therapy for something in their lives and they're a little afraid and and I feel like reading Strong Like Water is a bit like heading into therapy in a very kind, gentle, helpful way that might just draw you along to maybe finally make that call to mm-hmm. go and get into a relationship with a with a good therapist. Mm-hmm. I, what what's your hope for the book? And and I I love I I know that we barely got to talk about some of these beautiful um, exercises or resources that you have. There are so many. I just, I just want to say it is such a worthwhile book, but what, what's your hope for strong like water? Yeah. You know, my hope, I think I probably have a lot of hopes Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be honest, but, but if I had to um, sort of take it, strip it down a little bit, is that I think, I hope that people um, will begin to give themselves permission to fully inhabit the person that God created them to be. That who they are, who they most truly are, is not a liability. That who they most truly are is beloved and that God resources us and that there is a way through. Wow. That's beautiful and important. And you have done such good work in this book, Strong Like Water. You know, it'll be posted on uh, the, in the show notes and I highly recommend it. Andy Kolber, thank you for all you do and for being here on the podcast today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And to everyone else, I say keep the conversation going.